0: Greetings, salutations, and of course, hello to all of my listeners, my Unlucky Lounge rats. It's good to have you back here in the Unlucky Lounge for a brand new episode of Draft and Draft. My name is Cory, your limited lore master, denizen of this, the Unlucky Lounge, and joining me as always is the big bear buddy who is ready to battle because this is a very special weekend. We have the MTGA Arena open. Day one sealed, day two draft. Borak, it's almost as if the Grand Prix schedule were back. <gasps> well, it's not much of a Grand Prix if we don't have vendors selling shiny cardboard I can't afford. Maybe a raise, Corey? Dr- wow, that is somewhat passive, aggressive, and sassy, Mr. Turtle. But. We should be grateful because we get to compete for some big cash payouts from the comfort of our own bar. (coughs) Why aren't you wearing pants? I don't want to get into this right now. He's a bear. He shouldn't wear pants. But you are wearing quite a good suit, coat, and tie. Look at that makeover you got, (coughs) Borok. That's right, friends, we have a brand new show logo and a brand new show title. It's still draft and draft, and it's easy to find on all those socials. We're very excited because, well, let's get to some of that housekeeping, because we are... As always, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. Check them out, BLEAV.com or wherever you download your audio goodness. They support the show. They help publish it on a weekly basis. And, of course, they provided us with this brand new show logo and makeover here in the Unlucky Lounge. We're very grateful for them. Go pass those midday blues away with Believe. And the show is Always here because of all of you, my listeners, my Unlucky Lounge rats. Thank you for tuning in week after week, and if this is your first time, hello, good to have you here in this fun bar located in the Blind Eternities, right smack dab in the middle of Montesquieu Manor. And if you would like to keep the fun going with the Unlucky Lounge, then find us on socials this includes Twitter, Twitch, and TikTok. Find me at Draft and Draft Corey. You can find my Instagram, Corey DeMone Enriquez. And if the show is giving you some joy, feel free to find us on Patreon. Patreon.com backslash Draft and Draft. All the links in the show description below. Thank you to all of our current patrons. We couldn't do the show without you. And for everyone here, come join us on those socials and beyond. Help us keep the lights on here in the Unlucky Lounge. That is enough of the housekeeping and the upkeeping. The Sorcerer's Broom is put back into the Conjurer's Closet. And yeah, I know we kind of missed an episode on Friday, but this was coming out. And it's always that awkward timing, wouldn't you say, listeners? Right on the cusp of the weekend starting, they drop these things. I get it. But then it's like publishing an episode. What do I do? Do I wait till Saturday or Sunday? It's weird. So... While I love to do Friday night podcasts all the time, every once in a while we also gotta break the schedule to bring us the most up-to-date, most exciting things. And to me, getting a chance to engage in this MTGA Open with all of you here on the airwaves, I couldn't think of anything more exciting. And I couldn't think of better people to do it with than all of my lucky lounge rats out there. But before we buy this sealed event... And open up our packs. Let's engage in a little tradition. Grab a drink, grab a snack, maybe even crack a pack. Let's celebrate all the great that you are with this—the Untapped Steps. Oh, good idea, Borakin. But well, what about just sealed in general, Mister Draft and Draft Corey? Mm, turtle. Okay then, let's dig a little bit into what sealed means compared to our normal subject matter of draft. Draft of course is the passing packs around way of constructing a limited deck. But in sealed, instead of getting your choice of a single card as it goes around the table, sealed is where we open up 6 packs and create a 40 card deck from that. You have access to unlimited basic land just like you do a normal draft, but in sealed you're not selecting your cards, you have to adapt in a completely different way in that the things that you open is really the true variance of this format. That doesn't mean that this format isn't without skill. In fact, it might have even more skill. Often it gets a bad rap because of that variance, but tried and true, sealed has been a really important part of the limited tapestry of Magic the Gathering. There is a certain art to having to make a pool of bad cards work. And if you listened to my podcast about the CFB Vegas journey that I took, you'll know that I didn't open the strongest of pools. And, well, it kind of showed off in the record. Only getting four wins before getting my third one and missing out on day two. But here now in Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, there is a noticeable difference in the format, and I also believe that's going to yield to us a different strategy that we should embark upon as we open up our sealed pool. So first and foremost, compared to the massive cards that would just hit the battlefield and warp the entire game around them, like Crimson Vow had, in Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, I find that there's a lot of decision-making particularly in the modifications world and where you're going to use your mana with say Reconfigure or even putting on an errant aura or two So that is a big decision tree, which is going to cause a lot of in-game choices This is also a format of massive value all the sagas that are in this limited environment are massive value gains so when you are opening up your six packs we know that each pack is guaranteed to have a saga and almost all of them are good in their own way with maybe the exception being shattered states era the red threatened saga that transforms into a 3-3 trample Haster for five mana what this means is in a sealed environment you're often looking to try to get as much value as you can because in draft where you can build a focus plan and read the signals from the people next to you. In sealed, you don't have that choice to make. The pool that you open is going to be what you get to do. But the good news is everyone's in the same boat, as it were. So there's not a lot of aggressive decks in the format. There's a lot of value and splashing around of colors, a lot of green decks, and thankfully in this format, There's a lot of ways to get your mana fixing, and it's not necessarily just in green. You've got Ecologist Terrarium, Network Terminal, all the dual lands, even that choice land at common, that is going to give us, I think, enough liberty to potentially splash around a bit and just play the best value from the cards that we open. When we have the opportunity to stretch the mana base just a little to fit in some of our bigger bombs, that's going to lead us to some pretty good routes to victory. So that's going to be something I'm looking forward to. Splashing for value cards? Now you're speaking my language, turtle. Of course you love this format. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Maybe we can make the shrines work. Oh, boy. You know, Corey, the shrines are actually pretty good. Yeah? Turtle. I can't argue with you, Mr. Turtle. We actually picked up a trophy with a black-white deck, and one of the features of that deck was having the black-and-white shrine along with a Twisted Embrace and being backed up by two different uh, Shrine Searchers, the 3 2 for 5 mana artifact creature that lets us get a Shrine or Aura card from our deck and put it into our hand. Yeah, it was good. Some people would just scoop on sight to us playing a Shrine and letting it stick around for three turns. And then if any of the Shrines get a second one, you're really in for a ride. That actually includes the blue one too. It is a clock and a good defender. A 0-4 flyer for two, milling for two each turn. Yeah, that can get you a win relatively quickly, especially in this format that doesn't lend itself to being overly aggressive. Yeah, I probably would. If I had a dual land that was close to my main colors and a shrine in that same color, I would consider splashing it. Getting two, boy, three shrines. Wow. The only shrines that really don't show up as well would be, say, the blue one. And the green one just growing perpetually is, like, pretty okay, but can be answered with by a number of removal spells. But even so, it's still good. And the black one, the black Goshintai, really surprised me with what it can do. So it says, at the beginning of your end step, you may pay one, and destroy target creature with a toughness of X or less, where X is the number of shrines you control. It essentially puts this kind of stacks piece on the battlefield where your opponent just can't play some of the creatures in their hand. It makes their turns go way slower, and then until they find an answer for that Goshintai, you can just take over a game. One thing to note, though, is if you're just accidentally pressing Auto Pay on that trigger, you would have to destroy your own creature if your opponent does not have a target. So just something to think about. It doesn't say a creature your opponent controls, which a lot of effects like that tend to kind of have a template to. This one does not. So just be aware that you're going to actually use it to kill a creature and not just spending mana to spend mana's sake. Okay Borak, okay. We could talk more about this limited format, which I think so far has been extraordinary, but I think it's better for us to give the people what they want. Let's go ahead and open up our sealed pool and see how it looks and if it can maybe take us to day two. Now, before we buy into this arena open, we have two options. One is traditional best of three, the other is the best of one queue. Now, the difference between them is just what condition does it take for us to achieve a day two entry. Well, in the traditional best of three queue, it requires a perfect 4-0 record. If we lose any match, we're out, and there goes 5,000 gems. But the day one is very much like a best-of-one queue on Arena. It's seven wins or three losses. It has a little bit more give, and I think that's the one that we're gonna end up choosing here. So, cheers to all of you, friends. Let's pick up this sealed pool and see if it can bring us some victories. So, let's see what we get here as we crack open our six packs, and let's see what kind of rares are gonna be in our pool. Okay, so at least they're pretty well on color. So we have three white rares, Light Paws, Emperor's Voice, the one white 2-2 that whenever an aura enters the battlefield under your control, if you cast it, you may search your library for an aura card with a mana value less than or equal to the aura that you cast with a different name, and then put it onto the battlefield attached to attach the Light Paws. Pretty good. There's also the March of Otherworldly Lights, a nice bit of removal. It's X and a white for an instant, and has the clause for all the marches, which is you can you can exile additional of the card's color to have the spell cost 2 less. So if you exile a white card, the X increases by 2. And you get with the white one for X and white, exile target creature, artifact, or enchantment with mana value X or less. Nice role player, happy to have it in the deck. The last white rare that we have, which I'm quite excited about, is Lion Sash. One and a white for an artifact equipment creature cat. It is a 1 1 with reconfigure 2, so it can become an equipment. For the low low cost of two and then you have activated ability for a single white to exile a target card from a graveyard if it was a permanent card you put a plus one plus one counter on lion sash and the equipped creature gets plus one plus one for each counter on lion's sash yeah this thing does some good work and turns your creatures into beaters very quickly the other two rares are interesting too so we have Ryu, storm's edge This is the Human Samurai for two red-white, with first strike it's 3-3, and then whenever a samurai warrior you control attacks alone, untap it. If it's the first combat phase this turn, there's an additional combat phase after this phase, so it gives you an extra crack with your one attacker. Then we have two black rares, well, kind of black. The kind of black is the Legendary Land Takanama, Abandoned Mire. It taps for black, and you can channel it to military cards, then return a creature or planeswalker card from your graveyard to your hand. Costs one less for each legendary creature you control. And a rare saga, Tribute to Hirobi. Hirobi. 1 to black for an enchantment saga. Chapters 1 and 2, each opponent creates a 1-1 black rogue creature token. Then it transforms on 3 into a nifty 3-3 flying haste called Echo of Death's Whale. That when it enters the battlefield, you gain control of all rat tokens. And then whenever it attacks, you may sacrifice another creature. If you do, draw a card. There is a potential where we could play all these rares. And all of them are pretty good. The only one that doesn't look quite Exciting to me is either Light pause or Ryu Storm's Edge Light Paws might just be an autoplay as a 2-2 two, two for one to white that can maybe get us a little equity but we have to have at least two auras before it becomes good and well, We need to open them up So let's take a look at what the rest of the pool looks like and hope it can support something with white, or maybe we can splash into it So in our whites just in the initial look we have a couple big hits. So we have four sagas in white, two Machiko Reign of Truths. This is the one the white tarakuchi gets plus one plus one for each artifact and/or enchantment you control. That is still end of turn, and then it returns to the battlefield after being exiled into Portrait of Machiko. It's a zero zero that gets plus one plus one for each artifact and/or enchantment you control. Nice little thing there with the black white that. Might actually make sense for a deck we might want to try to build. And then we have two Befriending the Moths. This card has snuck up on me as a real player. Three and a white for an Enchantment Saga, chapters one and two. Target creature you control gets plus one plus one and flying until end of turn, and then it transforms into a 2 4 flyer. It just does enough to make it really quite good. Besides that, we do have Selfless Samurai, the 2-2 for one to white Fox Samurai that whenever a samurai or warrior you control attacks alone, lifelink is given to it, and then you can sacrifice it to give another creature you control indestructible until end of turn. I've yet to play with this card, but it is phenomenal. And of course we also have Spirited Companion. Oh. You ain't nothing but a dog, all time. What a good doggy. What a good doggy. Besides that, there's a few kind of medium cards. Uh, blue looks relatively okay. Let's just take a quick look at black just because of the way that the rares aligned before. So we've got the two rares, we've got a removal spell, actually two, two Assassin's Inks. This is the two black black instant and it costs wellness if you control an artifact, wellness if you control an enchantment and it says destroy target creature Planeswalker. Not bad. Not bad at all. So you could actually make this card just cost black black to destroy anything. Pretty useful tool in a format like this. Besides that, there's not too much exciting things in the world of black. Red, we've got experimental synthesizer, voltage surge, we've got a dragon spark reactor. This is a fun little build around for one red artifact whenever. It or another artifact enters the battlefield under your control. You put a charge counter on it. Then you can pay for it, sack it, and deal damage to a opponent and a creature equal to the number of charge counters on it. That's quite nice. We also have the red Goshintai. But it looks like we don't really have any shrines besides that one. We don't have the white one. And it looks like we don't have the green one either. No. Oh well, that's not too unfortunate. But as we page through, and I'm looking into our multicolor cards, we do have Naomi, Pillar of Order, the 4-4 for 3 white-black legendary creature whenever... It enters the battlefield or attacks. If you control an artifact and enchantment, you get to make a 2-2 Samurai creature token with Vigilance. Yeah, not, not bad at all. For the Fixing World, we do have a single Uncharted Haven. This is the Choose Land, so it enters the battlefield. You choose a color, and then you produce a mana of the chosen color. It does enter tapped, but not too bad. There is a Dismal Backwater. This is the Blue-Black Land. Okay. Okay. we also have roadside reliquary not a fixing land but it is a value land it taps for a and then you can pay two and sacrifice it draw a card of control and enchantment and draw a card if you control an artifact it's pretty cool in the artifact slot we do have a papercraft decoy the 2-1 that when it leaves the battlefield you can pay two if you do you draw a card nice with the Jiu-Jitsu. brute suit we do have a brute suit We've got a Searchlight Companion, the 1-1 one, one Flyer for three colors. That makes a 1-1 Spirit creature token. And we do have a thundersteel Colossus. Yeah, not too shabby. For the green cards, in general, not looking too exciting. We have Double Jukai Preserver, which is fine. We've got a Tales of Master Sheshiro, which is pretty cool. But thankfully, we do have the white cards as our Sagas that form a nice base. Honestly, looking at that base... I think I'm going to try to put together a white black deck here and see if it all kind of merges and melds well. So let's see if we can find a 23. No, no, try the one on the left, turtle. No, no, not more aggressive, more controlling, turtle. Not 16 lands, 17. What is this madness? Dirtle! Alright, alright, after much aligning, we've come to lean on our final 40, so let's talk about some of the choices that we had to make and some of the final cuts that we had to do. Yes, we're gonna go with a black-white build. I looked into red a bit and it has some gas, but not quite enough, I think that... More likely than not, the blue might have done something with the Silver Fur Master that we did end up opening. And we do have a Moon Snare Specialist and two Moon Circuit Hackers and an Acquisition Octopus and a Modern Age. It almost got there, but it'd be very, very hard for me to pass up the two Assassin's Inks that we have in black, plus the Naomi Pillar of Order does some really good work and an early tribute to Hirobi could get us some really good wins. Although it's so hard for me because I I see our four white sagas, double Machiko's Reign of Truth and double Befriending the Moths. These two cards tell me that my deck needs to go for the big swings. We're talking evasion, we're talking hit them hard and hit them where it counts. And in fact, I'm playing a Mothrider Patrol just for that reason. And it's pretty close because there's a lot of decent blue evasion here, and with the double moon circuit hacker, we could do some really cool work with a moon snare specialist and some bouncing tricks, but I feel like we'd just be losing out on some really good card quality in the black that we have. Honestly, the ninjas that we ended up playing, which is the Dukachi Shadow Walker, the 5-5, that was ninjutsu 4, and a single Muktai Ambusher. These two cards interact very well with our Machiko Reign of Truth. So we can pump one of our creatures, swing through, and it can either act as almost like a I dare you to block type situation, still get it for damage, and then rebuy the effects from the sagas. And the befriending the moths, well, if the game goes late enough and we get to attack with it as a 2-4 flyer, then bounce it back to our hand, that is really hard for an opponent to win through. And with all of this creature pumping, I'm playing both Golden Tail Disciples, the two and a white 2-3 enchantment creature with lifelink. I think that could be a really critical card, having the four different white sagas. And also, we are kind of leaning a little bit in the white-black Enchantment Artifacts Matter type situation with Naomi, with a Roadside Reliquary, and the double Assassin's Ink. It might be just good enough to go. Now, a couple cards that people might look at this deck in question would be the Imperial Recovery Unit. This is the Artifact Vehicle 3-4 for 2 and a white, with Crew 2 and then whenever it attacks, you return target creature or vehicle card with mana value two or less from your graveyard to your hand. Now, typically, I am not for playing this card. I think it's a little bit awkward. However, we have both Spirited Companion and Selfless Samurai plus Lion Sash two. We also have a Papercraft Decoy that we could conceivably trade off early and bring it back with. Our creature base actually is really good, and if we ever get to go attack with Imperial recovery unit and then bring back a selfless samurai, then we hell have really done it. We will have really done it. The final cuts that are staying in the sideboard, Kaito's pursuit, we don't have much in the way of ninjas and rogues except for the two that I talked about, and while a mine rot is good, I just think our card equity is better served elsewhere. There's also the when we were young, the three and a white instant combat trick up to two target creatures each get plus two plus two until under turn and then if you control an artifact and enchantment they also gain lifelink but the lifelink's nice i think we're gonna still get that effect with the double golden tailed disciples that we have and it's almost unnecessary we did end up playing a single thundersteel colossus This is the 7-7 with Trample Haste for Crew 2, that costs 7 mana. If our opponent ever overextends into a big attack step, that can get him good. I hope we do. We also have a Brute Suit as a 4-3 that we're playing, and we could have potentially played, say, Light Paws, but we have no auras. Or even a 7-Tail Mentor, the 2-3 for 3 and a White Fox Samurai, that when it enters the battlefield or dies, you put a counter on a creature or vehicle you control. And there's also an Undercity Scrounger, the 1-4 for two colorless and a black, and you make a treasure token by tapping it. You can only activate it if a creature died this turn. I was pretty close to playing it. It is an artifact, but it just is a little bit awkward. It's nice with Tribute to Arobi, but I'm willing to pass on that for some other choices. Well, my lucky lounge rats, that was a lot to take in. So now is as good a time as any to take a break. So stick around, grab a refresh. We're going to be back and we're going to dive into this MTGA Open here in Kamigawa Neon Dynasty time. Stick around, my Lucky lounge rats. We'll see you back in just a second. Welcome back, all of my unlucky lounge rats. Good to see you refreshed, refueled, and returned as we're about to take a big step into the MTGA Open. Now that I've had a chance to sit with this deck for a second and assess, I think the deck is pretty medium. (laughs) We really have to lean on this game plan with the sagas, with the double Michiko's Reign of Truth and befriending the moths. Making smart strategic attacking choices, using our flying creatures on them, gaining a lot of life with a golden Tail disciple, trying to have selfless samurai do some good indestructible work as well. And hopefully all that is going to lead to a victory for us. I wish we had a little bit more in the world of card advantage, but... For now, I think we're going to have to really just lean on some of that big explosive play that our sagas are going to give us. Oh, well, I suppose we should have opened more shrines, eh, Corey? and Turtle? What is up with you and those shrines, Mr. Turtle? Anywho, let's play these games out. Now, how are we going to podcast this? Because it's a lot of games. But I figure, let's go back to the form that we took when we went to Vegas for the channel Fireball Open. We will play games out and we'll give you reports of what happened, updating us as we go along. And since we're now in the comfort of the Unlucky Lounge, maybe we'll get a little bit of coverage in there as well, depending on how the games go and proceed. If we make any deck switches, we'll let you know. And, well, without further ado, let's do some planeswalking. Event report for post-round one of the MTGA Open here in Kamigawa Neon Dynasty is in our favor. We're 1-0 after our first round opponent. We did some good smashing, my unlucky lounge rats. Remember when we said that we wanted to live the dream of selfless samurai plus imperial recovery unit? Yeah, we got to do it. We sacked it. We gave our guy indestructible, swung in, returned it to our hand, and it proved quite a tricky attacker for our opponent to have to deal with. Also, we got a pretty sweet turn 4 when we curved our spirited companion and then was able to attack a ninjutsu in Dukachi shadow walker. A big 5 points of damage to the face, and then our opponent had to deal with a 5-5, five five, which was... Not particularly easy for them. Also, I think they did a little bit of an ambitious usage of their removal. They used the rest of the format on our Nezumi Blade Blesser. It had Menace with the Spirit Companion, but just snapping off that bit of removal gave us the window to return Spirited Companion, play the Dekachi Shadow Walker, get some extra card advantage equity, and have a 5-5 five five on the board. If you hit that reliably on turn 4, it is actually a big thing your opponent has to deal with. And it just was the right amount of us being able to get through, and a final... Period on the sentence that was this game was playing the befriending the moths to fly over after our opponent had one last trick up their sleeve and played the legendary dragon AO, but we just swung past their single blocker by adding another flyer to our table with that saga and got there for the final bits of damage. I have to say, though, even though it was a critical component of this game for us, the chaining of Imperial Recruitment Unit and Selfless Samurai was nice, but all it really did was add a little bit of indestructibility to our vehicle. Didn't even give the lifelink because, well, the vehicle is clearly not a samurai or warrior. And in a format that gums the board down quite frequently, it's not necessarily the kind of strategy I think one should Hang their hat on to get them victories. But still, did good work for us, and hopefully, we'll continue to do so as we move on to round two here in the Arena Open. Round two was the tale as old as limited time: Monoscrew Screw versus Mana Flood. And in the end, as always, Mana Screw beats Mana Flood. Eventually, you draw your lands, you cast your spells, and you get your way out of the glut. You're right, only a true master could power through and persevere Sometimes it's just about the telling of the story, Borok Yes, my unlucky lounge rats, we got fortunate and got our second win in a row here It was quite a bit close though It started off with us having two lands in hand and praying on turn three to draw one off of our spirited companion, but the good doggo came through as he always does. But we floated on three lands for quite some time as our opponent was slowly whittling us down and growing their board with Roaring Earth. That's the one green enchantment that essentially has landfall, put a counter on a creature, and then has channel for a bunch. They laid out their hand quite quickly. They used efficient removal to stop our death touch creature, but we clawed found good outs, and our opponent had a critical turn where they had a removal spell for our last blocker, where I animated then Brute Suit in response. Our opponent then had a 6-5 Yamakaze Sister, the Poets, the white one. They also had a Gloom Shrieker that had a counter in it. It was a 3-2. And they also had the Life of Toshiro Umazawa Transformed, Now, of course, you've got the White Poet that can bring back enchantments, and boy, that Life of Toshiro Umazawa did some good work against early board that we had. But we kept powering through, and they decided to attack through for the win with everything. But, as luck would have it, we top deck an Assassin's Ink, which was really nice. It gave us a chance to block the Toshiro Umazawa and then destroy their 6-5 next turn we were able to double spell off of a land draw and from there the writing was on the wall we had plenty of gas and every land that we drew would just be oh so good we got the win and the deck is performing consistently and admirably i gotta say my unlucky lounge rats nothing feels quite as good as you playing befriending the moths giving your naomi flying and getting it for five points of damage and making it two two whoo is both aggressive and defensive at the same time. Can we keep up this trend? Let's go to game three. Sadly, it's trending downward. We took a loss in game three. Our opponent went pretty strongly out of the gate with a blue-white deck going one, two, three spells in a row. While we had our first play on turn three, it was a tough keep with a handful of three drops, but I decided to persevere and unfortunately just didn't Quite get there. Eventually, our opponent played Kyrie, the blue legendary dragon, and all was over, but the crying at that point. <laughs> I mean, we had an Assassin's Ink in our hand, but they actually put Lethal on us, and we had to use it on a different creature. And Ward 4 is very hard to deal with. My lucky landrats don't know if you know that, but it's kind of hard to target a creature when you have to pay three more for it. Oh well. Let's rally, go to game four and see if we can get a positive result from it. Game four turned out no better than game three. And we actually lost for the exact same reason. It was a Kyrie. Well, it was Imperial Oath into Kyrie. Man, that sorcery is something good. That's three-two-two, vigilant samurai creature token, scry three for five and a white. Card's impressive. I did not think that kind of spell would be good in this format, but turns out it's a real beating. Also, a big flying war dragon that's legendary. Also kind of a beating. Also, not helpful when we draw 10 lands. What you gonna do? I guess the answer is now we're gonna have to try to run the gambit with two losses under our belt. Well, can I give a suggestion of maybe you should play some legendary dragons, Turtle? I can't do that, Mr. Turtle, we didn't open one. Yeah, well, that's not my fault, Turtle. Now that he's out of his shell, he's feeling a little bit too frisky if you ask me. All right, well, we're two and two. We confidently lost to Kairi twice in a row. And some really unfortunate land draws. Can we rally? Sure hope so. Would like a little more traction with this deck as you go to game five. Well, unlucky lounge rats, we decided to get on the air for this one, so here we are. It is the rubber game we mulliganed to six, but we did keep a hand that had tribute to Herobi in the opener. And now our opponent plays Kumamo Faces Kakazan. It's going to be one of those matchups, eh? Well, we can play Tribute to Herobi. They get a 1-1. And they're going to get at us pretty quickly here. But if we can land this Tribute to Herobi and let it stick, we might have some good traction in this game. On turn two, opponent plays the Ancestral Katana. That's a good one. But we did draw... A second Swamp, which means we now can Assassin's Ink. Our hand is currently March of Otherworldly Light, Naomi Pillar of Order, Assassin's Ink, and we just drew Moth Rider Patrol in the previous turn. We make a second rack for our opponents, and now they're going to transform and make the etching of Kamano. They now have a chance to hit us for four here. Perhaps they're going to equip the Katana if they do... And sure enough, they do, which means we can now comfortably Assassin's ink it. and we're going to probably have a chance to have this turn 2 tribute to Hirobi do some really good work for us, as they had a massive tempo sync by trying to equip that, and we had a removal for it. We still have March of Otherworldly Light in our hand for some backup removal too. Our opponent is currently on the red-white package. As we are now going to attack for three in the air. Sack a rat. Draw a card. Alright, things are looking a little bit up. We draw Takanuma, the Abandoned Mire. We might actually use that for a proper spell down the line here. Uh, I think I can play out the Moth Rider Patrol here and pass. Naomi's fine for next turn's play, but we do not actually have an artifact to be able to trigger her and make some 2-2s, two but March as a backup for a 2-drop into killing a 4-drop on their turn with our Takenuma play would be pretty reasonable. Our opponent does play Twin Shot Sniper, yeah, this is a good one. This is the 2-3 Reach creature that is an artifact Goblin Archer, jeez. And then when it enters the battlefield, it deals 2 damage to any target. Well, they confidently got our Moth Rider patrol, setting us back a little bit, but We do now get to at least destroy it. And we drew another Assassin's Ink. That's not too bad, all things being honest here. I'm wondering if I'm supposed to keep Takanuma for the channel ability or to just get there. But I think I can now pretty comfortably just attack with Echo of Death's Whale to start by sacking the rat. We draw a card and we draw... Drew a Roadside Relic That's not bad. Not bad. I might actually just play the Roadside Reliquary, and then lay out Naomi. This means that now we've got Seven Power on the board, we've got Assassin's Ink and in March of Otherworldly Light in our hand. If we draw an artifact next turn, we get to reduce the ink even more, which should be pretty great, and still have March of Otherworldly Light open. Our opponent has five cards in hand, Mountain, Mountain, Plains, Plains, and the Ancestral Katana alongside the 2-3 Reacher, So if they choose to equip, that's probably really good for us, because we need to just remove the the sniper and uh, keep getting at him. Oh no, they play Lord Conda, the fall of Lord Conda. Oh, that's pretty tragic. So they're going to get us for two as they attack through, and they exiled one of our better creatures. What a shame. Well, we're going to keep attacking with the Echo of Death's Wail, get in there for some damage we'll play the uncharted Haven that we just drew man that was such a good removal spell against us right now we have roadside reliquary five lands untapped two removal spells so we can interact relatively well with our opponent's board it's pretty good they're gonna play experimental synthesizer one of my favorite cards in the format Oh, man, I really hope this isn't the way that we lose this one. Oh, wow, they found the Ogre Head Helm. This is the Reconfigure Artifact Creature Equipment Ogre. Equipped Creature gets plus two, plus two, and then whenever uh, it or the equipped creature deals combat damage, you may sacrifice it. If you do, you get to draw some cards. Uh, That means discard your hand and draw three. All right, so they're going to go and equip the Ancestral Katana... uh, yeah, that, to their uh, Twin Shot Sniper trying to make a go of their aggressive play. Um, I think I'm just going to Assassin's Ink this right now. Again, a good tempo sync for us. And we can keep attacking in the air. So, you know, pretty okay. But we still need to draw some spells. We do not need to draw that planes that we drew. That's definitely not what we needed. So we can still attack uh, a Numa here. We channel it for four, and we'd still have otherworldly light. Let's attack first for three and see what happens. I'm willing to almost just do it and try to fill up our graveyard if we find an artifact that can get our roadside reliquary going. Not a horrible option. So yeah, let's go ahead and channel that Takanuma. Maybe we can find something. Uh, We found a selfless samurai. That's not the worst thing in the world. I'm pretty okay to just play it out and pass the turn. If they decide they want to get aggressive with their Ogrehead Helm, please, they're welcome to. But we still have March of Otherworldly Light as a backup. If we ever draw an artifact, we're good. The other milk cards that we got off the Takanuma was a Swamp and a Michiko's Reign of Truth. They're going to sack their Experimental Synthesizer here for their turn. And they did flip... The Imperial Subduer, the 3-2 for 2 and a white human samurai. Whenever a samurai or warrior, you control attacks alone. You tap a creature you don't control. They can play it. That is an option available to them. It looks like they're going to first battle with Ogrehead Helm. Um, I'm not going to block. That's going to bring me down to 12. They're at 8. We're winning the race right now as it stands. And they do not sack the Ogrehead Helm. I would typically agree with that line. They're going to play land, and I'm guessing, yep, there comes down the Imperial Subduer. Making a go of this game. And, oh, we just drew Thunder, Steel, Colossus. That's pretty good. How is that going to impact our line? So, our board is Echo of Deathswale and Selfless Samurai. If we attack with the Colossus, they have to block with at least two of their creatures. And even when that happens, we get to sack the colossus, or the Samurai to save the Colossus. So yeah, I think that's going to be our choice here. We're going to force some damage out of them and try to continue to be aggressive here. And my guess is they are going to block with the Fragment of Kanda and probably the Tutu. So they will get to draw a card off this exchange, at least. And if they decide to attack with everything, it's two, four, seven, eight, nine off the Katana. What are they going to do? We're getting a little bit cheeky with our attacks, I'm not gonna lie. We might have overextended just a bit, maybe we weren't supposed to attack with the Echo of Death's Wail, but we're here now. All right. So they're going to go down to one here, and they have one turn and a lot of cards in hand here. I think they might have us here, my lucky lounge rats. I think I was not supposed to attack with the Echo of Death's Wail. But let's see what happens. They play a land that makes their eighth land of the game. And it looks like they're going to move to equip to their 2-2 token, making it a 4-3. So they're going to crack at us for 9 and they're gonna play a Shattered States era? That's kinda crazy. Wow. Um They're gonna grab the Echo of Death's Whale. That's four, seven. That's exactly twelve damage. And exact mana. Well, that's one way to lose this draft, but you know. Even with the line that we took, we were still going to lose off that Shatter States era. Boy, I mentioned it before and now I got egg on my face. I lose base off of what I think the weakest saga is in the game. But them's the break sometimes. Well, my lucky lounge rats, not exactly my favorite result, but... You know, I think we took the right line, even with us attacking and putting them at one. They did need three more points of instant speed damage out of somewhere. It just so happens that they had the threatened effect. And even if we decided to play defensively in that last game, we still would have lost based on Shatter State's era. But it was real great to have all of you join me here as we took a crack at the MTGA Arena Open. And tell me... Did you get a chance to play it this weekend? I hope you did. This truly is a fun experience. A little bit of stakes. It kind of enlivens the pool a little bit, wouldn't you say? But let me know on those socials. On Twitter, Twitch, and TikTok, Draft and Draft Corey. On my Instagram, Corey DeMone Enriquez. And if the show is giving you some joy, find us on Patreon. Patreon.com backslash Draft and Draft. But in the meantime, it looks like I found the bottom of my drink. And so we've reached the end of another episode. My name is Corey, joined alongside Borok and Mr. Turtle too. That's me, <laughs> Turtle. If only I had a shrine. <laughs> and this has been Draft and Draft. Now go out there and make some magical memories of your own.